You know what would be great right now during a time of war? Energy independence. You know, we had it under Donald Trump. We don't have it now. We actually have energy dependence on Russia. Solar panels. We're buying over 600,000 barrels a day of crude from Russia. We've been doing this for quite some time. We have to step up to the plate. That means basically reversing some of the decisions that have been made, but no leasing, not drilling, and basically cutting back. We need energy independence more now than ever before. Yeah, we do. Did you know that about Russia? I did not. I did know, though, about the big plans and the big promises about alternative sources of energy. Solar panels, wind turbines, batteries to store energy and power for electric vehicles, including electric school buses. Makes us global leaders of fast-growing clean energy industries, like electric vehicles, solar and wind power, battery power. Manufacturing of solar panels, wind turbines, batteries to store energy and power the electric vehicles, from school buses to automobiles. It's going to help us meet the moment on climate change and become a global leader in the fast-growing clean energy industries like solar and wind power. I just like it if we were a global leader again. Forget about this environmental stuff because it doesn't cut it in a time of war. Solar, electric, school buses, whatever he's talking about. Yeah, this is real. We need heavy-duty equipment, heavy-duty energy, and this is the wrong time to be energy dependent. How about shutting down that Keystone Pipeline? It was one of the first things that Joe Biden did when he got to office. Yeah, he signed the paperwork. We're canceling the Keystone Pipeline and shutting down all sources of traditional energy, all kinds. That's a problem. But now that we're in a crunch, he's bragging about how much oil he's pumping out there. Tonight, I can announce the United States has worked with 30 other countries to release 60 million barrels of oil from reserves around the world. America will lead that effort. America will lead that effort. 60 million barrels from around the world. 30 million will come from America, which needs it. 60 million barrels will fuel America for three days. Three days. That's it. So this is, uh, sounds generous, but it's not. It's actually very, very weak. But at least we're working with our allies, right? We will work in lockstep with our allies and partners to respond decisively. And we'll continue working with our close allies and partners. And we are also working very closely with our allies. We will, working with our allies and partners, do everything we can uh, to identify those. All right, allies and partners are great. And you got to do some work with them. But the whole mission of this administration seems to be cooperation with allies and partners. Rule by committee. Have you ever been on a committee? They're not efficient uh, at the global stage or at your office. Uh, they, they, it's, they don't work very well. You got to do some of it, but this is over the top. Here's Anthony. Anthony, no H, Blinken, our Secretary of State. USAID has deployed a disaster assistance response team our top international emergency responders to lead the U.S. humanitarian response and coordination with European allies, partners, and international organizations. And USAID Director uh, Samantha Power was, as you know, just uh, uh, in Poland along the border with Ukraine. Samantha Power to the rescue. An Obama administration official uh, now in the Biden administration is hanging around on the Polish-Ukraine border. That'll fix it. 
Of course not. This war is serious. Now, there is a measure of good news. The Biden administration has decided to deploy or send over, rather, Stinger anti-aircraft missiles. That's great, but actually getting them to the battlefield, that's going to be hard. It could take a very long time. It's a dynamic situation right now. Should have done it months, if not years ago. So, as this war unfolds, and we are clearly rooting for the Ukrainians, I have to warn my Ukrainian friends, you gotta be nice to the Russians, to the POWs, I'm saying, to the ones you capture, don't abuse them. And some of these videos, well, they're not right. They're fascinating, but they're not right. All right. I don't speak the language, can't tell exactly what's happening here, but the whole scene is wrong. You don't do this to POWs. You don't put them on public display. Uh, and we've seen that uh, time and time again. And a lot of them, some have been insulted, some have uh, confessed to things, but it actually says in the Geneva Convention that you're not supposed to use POWs in this way. Take a look. Prisoners of war must at all times be protected, particularly against acts of violence or intimidation and against insults and public curiosity. Look, we don't want it done to the Ukrainians if they're captured by the Russians, and we don't want it done to Americans if we're captured by anybody, and we shouldn't do it to them either. Still, we want them to win, the Ukrainians. And right now, gosh, they're holding their own. Wow. All right. Well, it's a dynamic situation, but Kiev has not fallen. And the Russians are said to be shocked at the level of resistance and totally unprepared for it. Here's more. Hopefully we'll have peace soon. Uh, negotiations could be underway very soon, actually. Some have already started. I'm hearing that they may resume shortly. Why has America been so indecisive in so many conflicting messages? Again, I'm gonna go back to the money. Remember the Biden family. And you know, the mainstream media doesn't wanna talk about this or they want to dismiss it, but they have no grounds to. They receive money, millions and millions of dollars from both uh, Burisma in Ukraine and the Russian government, a portion of it, it is in that Senate report. Hunter Biden received a $3.5 million wire transfer from Alina Baterina, the wife of the former mayor of Moscow. They still have not explained that. It is very, very strange. So incurious our mainstream media are these days. All right, back to Ukraine. Did you hear about this big plane the Ukrainians had? Uh, a huge, huge transport plane with no offensive capability whatsoever. It's an Antonov AN-225 uh, of Russian design, but the Ukrainians owned it and the Russians destroyed it. Uh, this is almost harassment. Here's another unfortunate target, a Holocaust uh, memorial in the middle of a museum 
where many Holocaust dead, uh, hundreds of thousands, I believe. Why do they do that? Uh, the Ukrainian leadership is convinced that this was deliberate, and I believe them. So, oh, the Pope actually called Vladimir Putin, or tried to. He's in the Vatican, called Vladimir Putin, couldn't get him on the phone. So he went over to the Russian embassy and said, I wanna talk to your leader, get him on the phone. And it didn't happen. He was there for about 30 minutes. Vladimir Putin is being very unreasonable, even with the Pope. All right, the State of the Union. Joe Biden couldn't say it, so I'm actually gonna go all the way back to Gerald Ford. He said it, it was true at the time, it's true now, but Mr. President. And I must say to you that the State of the Union is not good. He got in big trouble for that, but um, it's true now, right? It's not good. And Joe couldn't say that. He just tried to talk tough. Half of the speech sounded like a speech he made five years ago in Iowa. Uh, it just was a laundry list of wish list items. And then he tried to sound tough on Putin. Six days ago, Russia's Vladimir Putin sought to shake the very foundations of the free world thinking he could make it bend to his menacing ways. But he badly miscalculated. He thought he could roll into Ukraine and the world would roll over. Instead, he met with a wall of strength he never anticipated or imagined. Putin's latest attack on Ukraine was premeditated and totally unprovoked. All right, so what he's doing is basically reading from the newspaper with a great deal of volume, all right? There's nothing new. There's no message directly to Vladimir Putin. That would have been a perfect time to say, get out of Ukraine. What are you doing, you madman? No, he wouldn't do that. Why not? I think because he's compromised, because Vladimir Putin knows about that $3.5 million transfer. What would Putin say back? Joe, what's the problem? Our government gave you so much money. Why are you taking this kind of position? He's compromised. It's hampering the entire situation. Now, he did make something clear, which he should not have. Let me be clear. Our forces are not engaged and will not engage in the conflict with Russian forces in Ukraine. Now, we don't want a shooting war with Russia, but why say that out loud? Aren't you, I'm not a diplomat, I, but why put all your cards on the table? Maybe, just in case, who knows what's gonna happen? Bad move. Oh, also this, in case you thought we were going to fight with Ukraine, not gonna happen. Our forces are not going to Europe to fight Ukraine. Thanks. We thought that was not going to happen, so it's not going to happen. Look, there are some other bloopers last night. We want to show you some of them, but we are actually going to first feature the star of last night. Her name is Lauren Boebert, Congresswoman from Colorado. She said what had to be said, and how Republicans are treating her now is a disgrace. Be right back. Is, is that, that the, the fake, fake news just doesn't get it, do they? <laughs> they always give Joe a big fat pass, right? Largely because they don't know what we know. Uh, this bothered me a lot last night, and uh, the fake news never would seek to call him out on it, but I can. 
Our troops in Iraq have faced in Afghanistan have faced many dangers. One being stationed at bases, breathing in toxic smoke from burn pits. Many of you have been there. I've been in and out of Iraq and Afghanistan over 40 times. Wow, he's been to Iraq and Afghanistan 40 times. I've heard of two tours of duty, three tours of duty, but 40, if you add it up, he probably was there for about 10 hours. That's why they go for bragging rights half the time, 40 times to Iraq. I've seen reporters do this, politicians do it all the time. If you added it up, what would it actually amount to? Now, personally, I've been to Iraq four times, just four. So Joe's been there 40. That's one of my trips there. Got a little metal to the face. I was there for about a year, all right? If you added it all up, 40 versus three, four. It's all about bragging rights with Joe, but he makes the matter even worse. These burn pits that incinerate waste, the waste of war, medical and hazards material, jet fuel, and so much more. And they come home, many of the world's fittest and best trained warriors in the world, never the same. Headaches, numbness, dizziness, a cancer that would put them in a flag draped coffin. I know. One of those, one of those soldiers is my son, Major Bo Biden. Lauren Boebert, good for you. Good for you. He didn't talk about Afghanistan. Was that five years ago, 10 years ago? No, it was six months ago. Our horrific loss. Everybody has forgotten. You didn't let them forget. Good for you. 13 boxes did come off that casket, uh, did come off that jet. Our loss, this is somehow ancient history in our ADD country. Nobody can remember and a president of the United States can get away with not talking about it, pretending that it didn't happen. Good for Lauren Boebert, huh? There's more. I don't know for sure if the burn pit that he lived near, that his hooch was near in Iraq and earlier than that in Kosovo is the cause of his brain cancer, the disease of so many other troops. But I am committed to find out everything we can. All right. So he's implying that Bo Biden, his son, who served honorably, was somehow a battlefield casualty. That's what it would be, by the way, if he died as a result of exposure to those burn pits. Joe has tried this before. Quite frankly, I think he speaks a little bit too much about his family and what he's been through and not enough about what others are going through. He's done it many, many times. As was referenced by the secretary, my son Bo served in Iraq for a year. Our son Bo's service in the Delaware Army National Guard unit, the year he spent deployed in Iraq. My son who spent a year in Iraq and died was a patriot. I carry that burden every day, just as I did when I was vice president. My son was deployed to Iraq for a year. Like my son was sent to Iraq to maybe die. Well, at one point he said a year in Iraq and died in Iraq. The implication is that he, and this, a good story becomes a legend. And that's what a career politician does. But they're faking it almost all the time. What better example when he checked his watch as those bodies came off the plane? 
I'll never forget it. That was the true, the true man. Um, and here's another example. I mean, gosh, General Milley is still on duty. General Milley is still on duty. Yeah. Besides, we've got the best damn generals in the world. Well, I tell you what. Best damn generals in the world, right? Mark, I want to learn about white rage Millie. Afghanistan, we saw what happened. Best damn generals in the world? No. All right. It is a swamp. And you know what? Democrats are terrible. And so are a lot of Republicans, the career ones. He thought he could divide us in Europe as well. But Putin was wrong. Well, that was just one of the many topics the president addressed last night. We're joined now by Republican Senator John Thune. He's from South Dakota, the Senate Minority Whip. Senator, good morning. Good to see you. Good morning, Gail. Nice to be with you. There did seem to be a lot of bipartisan support, bipartisan applause, certainly when it came to how the president, when any comments he made about Ukraine and Russia. Do Republicans, for the most part, think he's doing a good job on this? Uh, they do. I mean, I think a lot of Republicans would argue that it was they were reactive at the beginning, at the early stages, maybe didn't do enough uh, to deter it. But I, I give the administration credit. I think they've done a, a, an exceptional job of rallying uh, our allies. An exceptional job. Am I hallucinating or something? What is wrong with these people? An exceptional job. We can all see the failure. This is a Republican from South Dakota. And then this. I have to talk about two of your colleagues in the Senate, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. Yeah. Quick fact check moment here. Gail King. Uh, they are members of the House of Representatives, not the U.S. Senate. But continue. I'm curious about your reaction to their behavior last night. Well, I don't think there's any place for that. Uh, it, you know, it's a, in, inappropriate. State of the Union speech, whether you agree with the president or not, it is an opportunity to show the American people the respect that the office uh, deserves. Will uh, Republicans come out publicly and really say, let them know publicly that was not okay to do? Well, I will see how, how it unfolds today. You know, typically the, the House, um, you know, will, if there were steps to be taken, they would, the House leadership would probably do that. But I think that there'll be plenty of um, condemnation from people, uh, colleagues and whatnot, and uh, just a recognition that those types of antics in a setting like that mm -hmm. are inappropriate. And I think, any, every, I think everybody would agree with that. Speak for yourself, John Thune. I do not agree with that. I applaud Lauren Boebert for making the case for the 13 dead, for not forgetting them when the president of the United States wanted to. And Mitch McConnell, has he weighed in yet? I wouldn't hold my breath. Here he is watching last night. He's not giving anything away. All right, uh, wrapping up the State of the Union with a couple of bloopers. As Sherrod Brown says, it's time to bury the label Rust Belt. It's time to see the, the what used to be called Rust Belt become the, 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 the home of a significant resurgence of manufacturing. We won't stop <clears throat> because you can't build a wall high enough to keep out a, 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 a vaccine. Putin may circle Kyiv with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. Eh, the Iranian people, the wall, the vaccine, uh, just a mess. And <laughs> when he wasn't uh, making sense, 
he was trying to be a big shot, telling the private sector how to do their jobs. I think I have a better idea to fight inflation. Lower your costs, not your wages. Cut the cost of prescription drugs. I may be wrong, but my guess is if we took a secret ballot in this floor, that we'd all agree that the present tax system ain't fair. <laughs> and at the age of 79, he's just getting around to taking care of that. Joe Biden talking about the real world is scary stuff because he's never really been in it uh, from the age of 25 to 27. Well, that's those are the two years when he wasn't a student and he wasn't a politician. Uh, that's it. That's uh, that's not much time. You know, he didn't talk about crime last night. Can you believe that crime is a huge, huge issue in cities across the country? It didn't come up. Other than when he said, I guess he's a flip-flopper because he's all for funding, not defunding, funding the cops. We should all agree the answer is not to defund the police. It's to fund the police. Fund them. Fund them. Fund them. But when he was desperate to be elected... And get that nomination. He said, defund them. He did. He agreed with this guy. The question was all about redirecting the funds, defunding, taking funds from the police to uh, other organizations, social services, that kind of thing. Listen. They become the enemy. They're supposed to be protecting these people. So my generic point is but that do we, we agree that we can redirect some of the funding. Yes, absolutely. Yes, Absolutely. That, they were talking about defunding the police. All right, finally, a little bit of hypocrisy from Joe. Let's stop sending each, seeing each other as enemies and start seeing each other for who we are, fellow Americans. Ah, isn't that nice? Right, great. Starting with you, huh? That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. What I'm worried about is how un-American this whole initiative is. It's sick. It's sick. We're asking my Republican friends in Congress and states and cities and counties to stand up for God's sake. Have you no shame? <laughs> Have you no shame? My fellow Americans, we're all Americans. Have you no... Flip-flopper. Uh, oh, we got to talk about Kamala real quick. Kamala Harris, vice president, was sitting behind Joe, and uh, man, was she sitting with intensity. What was going on there? You know, when you go to the Six Flags amusement park and someone's, uh, I don't know, that like that chair is about to launch in a roller coaster, there was just something so weirdly intense. Now, I didn't have a problem with it, but a lot of people pointed out she's wearing a brown suit. So what? Look fine. I didn't notice it, but I did notice this. It was very funny. Uh, <laughs> get it? M as in M and M. I don't know. Oh, one other thing. Nancy Pelosi was odd as usual. But what was up with this um, China display? Or what is that? Is that? Uh, do you know what that is? Is a perfume, a jewelry box? A lot of people guessed booze. I don't know. All right. When we come back, uh, oh, I've got to tell you about this, how this is being promoted, children's exposure to transgender kink. Yes, even the Washington Post is saying this is a good thing. Those are children with those guys. We'll be right back.
America is in big trouble. We seem to have lost our way. It can be corrected, it can be corrected very quickly, but this image, which was celebrated by the left, uh, celebrated by people like Joe Biden, Black Lives Matter, uh, cops bad, chaos good, that reigned for a year and a half in this country, and that's wrong. Obviously, we know that. Future generations, I hope, will know that. This is also bad. The Washington Post said it was good, exposing children to what they called transgender pride kink. Whatever is happening in that picture with that child and that man dressed in such a manner is not right and should not be embraced by any law-abiding person. What else? Well, the swimmer of Pennsylvania. I mean, these are just small examples, but celebrating this individual's achievements in the pool, given what that person was born as, this is, this is crazy. And this is where real leadership would be very, very helpful, could possibly save us. And maybe for one brief, dumb moment of mine, I thought just maybe Joe Biden couldn't be all that bad because he professed to be a Christian. I will just take the opportunity to remind all of you that he is a devout Catholic and somebody who attends church regularly. I'm a Christian. A lot of people are Christians. Uh, Joe Biden's a Christian, but he also recognizes the dignity of all human beings. Joe Biden is a Catholic, a devout Catholic. He's talked publicly repeatedly about how his Catholic faith has helped him. He is. He is a devout Catholic. And um, I, I remember talking to one of his staffers saying to me, you know, even when we travel abroad, we have to find somebody or somewhere he can he can go to church on Sunday. Being a Catholic, being a Christian is a lot more than going to church on Sunday. He has an amazing opportunity if he's truly a believer, and I doubt that. Because when he talks about God, he talks about it in this manner. <laughs> this is, he's talked more about transgender teenagers than Jesus. He has. I said last year, especially to our younger transgender Americans, I'll always have your back as your president so you can be yourself and reach your God-given potential. That's what you hear when he talks about God. Never talks about Jesus, it seems. And what does he think about where he is in that place right there, the Capitol? What does he say about it? My fellow Americans, tonight we've gathered in this sacred space, a citadel of democracy. Well, it's not a sacred place. It's a federal building. It's a municipal facility, essentially. Uh, it's not sacred. Why doesn't he talk about matters of faith, spirituality, Jesus, the Lord, Christianity? He doesn't. And he talks about issues, and he talks about them in the way that <laughs> suggests that he is not the man of faith that his staff brag that he is. And that's a shame and a lost opportunity. A sacred place. You know, they call it a sacred place because then they can make an even bigger issue out of January 6th. January 6th. If the Capitol is sacred, then what those folks did was defile something sacred, and that sounds a lot more serious. I do believe, and I know actually, that some of them were invited in. Some of them were allowed in. Some of that was a setup. Not all of it, but some of it, certainly. 
Stay with us. We are going to check in on the truckers who have been uh, making their way across America. I thought they were going to be in D.C. for the State of the Union. It didn't quite work out that way. What happened? We'll be right back. It started in Canada, that whole uh, truckers protest. It was awesome, and it caught on here in America. Uh, did you see this? The People's Convoy moved out uh, early last week, I think, was it? And uh, an amazing convoy, uh, miles and miles, uh, hundreds of trucks. And then the people started noticing, and then the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, the People's Convoy, I thought they were going to be in Washington, D.C. for the State of the Union. It hasn't quite worked out that way. Uh, We have a map of their progress and where they are right now. They are in uh, Monrovia, Indiana. And uh, we are joined by Christopher Marston. He is co-organizer of the People's Convoy. Hey, Christopher, how are you? Great to see you. Great to see you tonight. Thanks. Hey, look, I thought you guys were going to be in Washington by now. What happened? (laughs) Well, you know, every once in a while, it helps to take a sharp left turn to Albuquerque. So we're we're up in Indiana. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this. And I would understand. I mean, let's face it. You know, they were talking about the National Guard. I think Democrats were exaggerating you guys as some sort of threat. Um, And then they set up these big security perimeters a la post January 6th. I mean, did they did they have a talking with you? Did they say, listen, we'd prefer you not to be here for the January for 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 the State of the Union? No, you got to keep people on their toes. I don't think the intention was ever to go into the federal district. Uh, I think people learned the first time feeling a bit fooled and uh, nobody's going into the federal district this time. So so far, uh, you're in Monrovia. What's happening there? And what have you accomplished? And by the way, I'm, I, I love what you're doing. But, you know, what, what has been done so far? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, look, it's been amazing watching this convoy, uh, both emerge, come together, other convoys joining in national unity with the People's Convoy to create one united message for accountability. So one thing is well, there's been a big rally cry for accountability. And I want to say freedom matters, but Getting rid of these emergency powers that have been abused for two years is really what we need in holding people accountable. So as the truckers are going across the country, we've had thousands of people show up and support. You're seeing video of it right now on the screen. People, we have five truckloads of just gifts and food and letters from children, and, and it's just beautiful to watch. So really getting the hearts of the American people on board, and, and that's what this is. Uh, we're only at the beginning of the journey, and we hope it ends with some accountability. Uh, thepeoplesconvoy.org for more information, thepeoplesconvoy.org. And what does accountability mean to you? So accountability is this, you know, the freedom thing is, is one thing, but how did we get here that people feel we're living in an alternate universe and our civil liberties have been depleted and gone? It's really the abuse of emergency powers that were never meant to be by state, local, and federal officials to basically usurp the Constitution and the way our, our, uh, our whole government, when way of uh, governing the country is supposed to work. And it's been abused. People need to be held accountable. And, you know, just this massive... The courts have been stuck not being able to deal with it because they're under emergency 
an emergency power has just granted more power than people intended, and it's been abused. You know, when President uh, Biden came out and said this, and by the way, I knew it at the time, and and, and I was right. He was the, the Supreme Court uh, overruled him, essentially, that he was way out of line. And the way he said it was so offensive to me. Take a look. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. And your refusal has cost all of us. He's talking about the vaccine mandate. And interestingly, the first court to rule against OSHA cited truck drivers long before there was a people's convoy. One of the uh, the, the the appellate judges said all else equal, a 28 year old trucker, you know, healthy, spending the bulk of his workday in the solitude of his cab is simply less vulnerable to COVID-19 than a 62 year old prison janitor. And it just made so much sense. And I appreciate that judge, you know, kind of getting into the mindset and the reality of a truck driver's life. No doubt. That was a brilliant comment. And then another one that uh, Biden said when he was talking about Russia and Ukraine was he said that defending freedom will come at a cost. And here the truckers are out at a huge cost to their own pay and to everything, their families, their livelihoods, out fighting for freedom and accountability. And we've got to throw a lot of uh, honor and respect to the truckers. They're out there and uh, we got to throw some love and support and financial support their way. Uh, So we'd love to have their support uh, to support them. You know, one of my favorite moments, quite frankly, of the Trump presidency was when, and a lot of people in the fake news, they shook their heads. They thought this was, oh, this is so gross. How could he do such a thing? This is beneath the president. I loved it. When he had the truckers, uh, they brought a truck to the South Lawn of the White House. He jumps in, he pulls the horn, and you know he was connecting with the guys who really do truly make this country run. And I don't know if you saw this, uh, Christopher, he had a trucker in the White House during the convention. Take a look. These are my friends. These are the incredible workers that helped us so much with the COVID. These are great, great people. We wanna thank you all. You have been incredible. And we want to thank you. So tell me a little about your stories. How about we'll start with you? I'm a trucker. Good. I own a small business in Ohio. Great. Uh, Hauling steel mostly. Um, you know, some of our customers actually made hospital beds with uh, some oh, wow. material. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations. I love the truckers. You know, they're on my side. Thank you. Mr. I think Brian. all of them, frankly. I think pretty much all of them. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so right. And by the way, like that was during the convention. And it was just so pure and natural. You know, it wasn't Beyonce or Jay-Z or uh, George Clooney. It was the people. The Democrats really left the working class behind these last two years, Greg. Um, And, you know, we've seen the biggest shift in wealth over the pandemic, shutting down small businesses, hurting, you know, nurses and healthcare workers and just average, uh, average people. I mean, the American dream has been crushed. And all of that money went into the hands of big corporations. And uh, it was really awful to see. So it's beautiful to see them rise up here. And I think it's a real opportunity for the Republicans to pick it up uh, in support. But this is not a red or blue movement. This is red, white and blue. And I do want to say that we've been seeing an outpouring of support from every color, religion, creed, It's been beautiful. I love it. I love it. Uh, Good luck. Safe driving. Christopher Marston, the convoy is in Indiana. Let's see. You're going to be in D.C. March 5th, which is... Uh, When is that? Sunday? Saturday? Monday? When is... (laughs) It's coming around. (laughs) When's when's the 5th? 
The fifth. There are two more days. It's it's it's, it's Sunday. Yeah. I think it's Sunday. All right. Sorry. Thank you, sir. Okay. We'll be right back, and uh, we'll be right back with Peter Navarro, one of my favorites. All right. You saw Joe Biden walk into that hall last night to give the State of the Union. Notice anything? No one's wearing a mask. Everybody's shaking hands. Everybody's gathered together. I see one guy wearing a mask. But, you know, I'm not complaining, actually. But then I saw some pretty startling numbers. Now, take a look at this. It's a seven-day average going back into late February. We're at about almost 1,200 COVID deaths per day. 1,200. That's right now, okay? Back in April of 2020, where were we? Actually, a little bit fewer. 1,165 deaths. April of 2020. Do you remember what was happening in April of 2020? Total and complete shutdown and ultra paranoia about COVID. Wow. Look at those numbers again, side by side, huh? April, the deaths, right? Very, very close. I sense... It was all political. Could it be? I'd like to bring in Peter Navarro, Peter Navarro, former assistant to the president and director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing, also author of In Trump Time, my journal of America's plague year, which, by the way, I am enjoying very much. Peter Navarro, welcome back. How are you? I'm uh, I'm doing great. Uh, Hey, Beautiful day in D.C. Uh, Spring has come in in March. Um, You're absolutely right. If you look at those numbers, um, we've had a surprisingly steady rate of mortality that that goes back to the inception of the pandemic. And, Greg, I remember January 28, 2020, at the dawn of the pandemic, I wrote a memo for the task force that went to the Situation Room that predicted that we would lose about a half a million Americans and cost trillions of dollars to our economy. It turns out I underestimated that. Um, In the fog of war at that time, it seemed like locking down, stopping the spread and all of that seemed to be the right strategy. But we quickly learned that the costs of a lockdown in terms of depression, alcoholism, lost output and all of that was would dwarf basically uh, the the cost of the virus itself, and so there was a there was a learning experience we went through early. What do we know now? I think what we know now is that the vaccine has been very ineffective. Uh, on net, it may have been done more harm than good. Mm-hmm. We know that masks don't really work. We know that the people who are dying um, tend to be way older or with comorbidities and that we should keep all this stuff away from our kids and healthy people. We know all of this. That's what the science is telling us. And what we know most of all, Greg, is that if we could do it over again, we would focus almost entirely on developing therapeutics for treatment in the first seven days of infection. That's the stuff like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and and some of these other treatments that some of the drug companies have been trying to develop. Um, That's what we know. And Joe Biden, I mean, far more people have now died on his watch than did under Donald Trump. Um, And politically, let's remember where this came from, Greg, right? Right here, the Wuhan Institute of Lab Virology, funded by Tony Fauci. And um, we never have held communist 
China accountable. What they have done is turn our democracy to look more like them uh, than, than what George Washington and Thomas Jefferson envisioned. You know, it's so wild, uh, you're, the, all the COVID deaths under Joe Biden and how he chooses not to commemorate those deaths anymore just before coming into office. Every milestone, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, 400,000. Take a look at this. It yeah. was at the Lincoln Memorial. 400,000 deaths. And they had, can you go ahead and roll that, please? I think we have it. Uh, uh, all kinds of candles. And it was just this uh, huge display. And yeah. it was actually quite powerful. Uh, are we going to see those? Here we go. And then when we double that number, as we did uh, about two months ago, I think, 800,000, literally, this was his reaction. Take a look. President Biden, on 800,000 coronavirus deaths, uh, do you have a statement on your responsibility? And why haven't you uh, asked China to do more to be transparent on the origins? Yeah. Laugh. Big smile. Big go smile. Ahead, Joe. Real quick. Yo, go uh, ahead and laugh, Joe. I only have uh, less than a minute, 30 seconds. Uh, what is he doing wrong now regarding COVID? The emphasis on therapeutics is, is still the best way because this death rate is so constant, Greg. If you just smooth out the curve, right, it's just a, a, a straight slope up. Uh, we have mutations come. Some of them are more contagious or less, but people, people keep dying at the same rate no matter how much we vaccinate. Treatment, therapeutics is the answer. That's what he's doing wrong. And Fauci, that guy's got to go. He yeah. wants to stick our kids uh, with with his jabs and masks. That just doesn't work. Peter Navarro, thank you again. And check out the book, everybody. Let's put it up on the screen. It's called In Trump Time, My Journal of America's Plague Year. To be continued, sir. Thank you. To be continued. We'll be right Take back. Take care, Greg. You bet. You Thanks so much, uh, really, for watching and for getting the word out. We're very proud of what we're doing here. Uh, so thank you. Thank Newsmax. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Cinchfield is next.